Yeehaw! Hello, howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats podcast. Hopefully, you've gotten back a little bit from the outrage of the weekend. And we will be here to hopefully bring a more nuanced analytical view to what uh, I'm not sure if it'll be an exciting show, but it'll certainly be a show. And uh, <laughs> I am joined by Adam. Welcome. I'm, I'm just hey. not really should be vamping on my intro thing. I should just read what I have written here and probably do better. So welcome. How are you doing? Well, this is this is the number one analytical uh, Arsenal podcast, but not, not probably not number one in ad libbing. No, you know what? I, I should get better at that. But I'm, I think I'm in a I'm more of a script person, I think is what I'm learning. Well, we're always getting getting better, isn't it? Yes. All right. Should we just go straight into it? I don't. I think. Well, first, I think the big topic is you know the VAR stuff. And before that, we started recording. I don't think either of us has a special nuanced take on it. Besides, like it absolutely sucks, and it's kind of like indefensible that it happens. But right. I'm not really sure there's anything we can do at this point. Yeah, particularly for an offside check. Um, what are you even doing if you're not drawing lines? I, I literally don't know. Other is he just? Did you just look at the screen uh, and decide? It yeah. just it it uh, it feels uh, at best like complete incompetence, and at worst, you know, obviously there's much worse than being that. But yeah, we we don't have a lot of fresh things to say other than man, it would have been nice to uh, to get one of those spammy wins because of that, rather than sitting here and saying, you know. They took another one away. So it's not the first time that it's happened. We all have the well-documented, you know, cases of uh, penalties not being given, you know, offsides not being spotted. Some, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's frustrating. Scott and I both kind of agree that it's one of those things that's probably not going to change much or at all, but yeah, obviously I, I feel like this is one of those cases where people probably have a stronger, a stronger right sort of to be um, irritated yeah. than some of the other ones. I think the only thing that maybe is controversial, at least for my opinion, reading what was happening over the weekend was that I don't think there's like a conspiracy against Arsenal. I think that there is just a, a long, well-documented history of basically every team feeling like the referees are against them and there are errors that are made against every team maybe it just because we are more into it like we feel like there's more errors against arsenal but i think that this is one of those situations where i, I wouldn't uh, ascribe conspiracy when incompetence is a more likely contributing factor and i think this weekend right i think there's well, there was definitely the Brighton air where like they just like totally drew it from the wrong guy. Yep. I think they made the same mistake in the Tottenham match where I think that they had one there, like where it looked like they probably drew it from the wrong guy again. Like, I don't know. Like, I mm -hmm. think they just, these guys are not good at the technology. I think they're, yeah, they don't know how to do it right. Yeah. And I mean, you can, you can throw the Suchek handball on top of that too. Obviously handballs are always a little bit more open for subjectivity, but you know, I think I think it's kind of the the existence of a large sports club or large sports franchise. In a lot of in a lot of ways, you feel like people are against you, and um, it, it's totally normal. I mean, maybe maybe there is something to that. You know, with people being from Manchester, and it's more of a an unconscious bias. But 
you know, yeah, and I, I do think there is some of that too, right? Because I think English players certainly are refereed differently. I think that there are players that have a reputation that get refereed differently right. on those kinds of things. Maybe, right? It's it's certainly weird and like very unusual that like Manchester or the greater Manchester Merseyside area produces so many of the high level referees. Like mm-hmm. they're like two per, you know, like less than 10% of the country's population, but like 40% of the premier league referees come from there. And like 0% come from greater London where you think like that's a major population center. You should have at least one or two guys probably coming from there. Right. There's certainly some uh, diversity issues, not just, you know, like by, you know, skin color, but like full just geog- geographical diversity is a major problem inside yeah. of the refereeing right now. Yeah, I mean, certainly you feel like you feel like if you if you expand your your pool from which you can select your refereeing talent, so to speak, that you would have a better outcome rather than, um, you know, limiting yourself geographically so much. I mean, we saw we saw a, num- a couple of different examples at the World Cup where maybe the, the calls were not great, but then you saw a couple, of, more than a couple of examples where I thought people did a really great job of refereeing. And it's just, you know, you, you give yourself more people to choose from. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if the best players from every country are dreaming of becoming Premier League players, um, you would think similar would be true uh for referees but you know that's that's a another that's a whole other topic yeah and it's a tough just like in general like kind of thing and i feel like because I've, I've done refereeing and you know at the the high school and you know done some adultly kind of stuff and it's a thankless job and i think it's getting worse um i know in general just talking with other referees that the number or the amount of abuse that you get now is significantly worse than what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is certainly a problem where we're not getting people that try it out and, you know, want to continue and do the best and be able to do it because it is such a thankless job and you're getting yelled at and nobody thinks, yeah. I mean, obviously like nobody wants the referee to be the story, but like they're kind of important to be there. So exactly. I think that's more of a systemic issue. And I think part of it is like there's some bad influences that you see at the professional level where you'll see those kinds of things. And it certainly trickles down into lower leagues. You know, if you if you just go on to like the FA Cups or the FA's website and they have all the disciplinary stuff, like there is a lot of times where you'll see, you know, down in the National League or, you know, in League Two where players are surrounding the referees or like there's a uh, failure to control kind of things happening all of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I can understand, like, you know, referee, like, you're not getting paid that much. Like, why do you want to deal with this? Like, this is my free time. Like, I'm, you know, a lot of these guys are doing it part time. And yeah, it's like, why, why, why put up with this sort of, I guess, pain and suffering to be able to, you know, no, yeah, to cash. It sticks with you. It definitely does. I've just like you, Scott, I've done, you know, like, like school, high school, or I guess, what would you say? Primary school, or secondary overseas. Uh-huh level refereeing just for like you know 20 bucks to do a game that sort of thing and you know here i am like a decade later and some of the i mean some of the things that people said to me were nowhere near what it would be like you know refereeing a game at old trafford or something like that and i can still remember it really clearly it it sticks with you so it is it is uh it is very thankless and it's not glamorous and it's it kind of reminds me of uh you know any job really that's kind of foundational to like the, you know, the core part of society, but, um, isn't high paying and isn't glamorous. It's like, well, these people are very important, but 
there's also not a lot of incentive to attract them. Yes. All right. I think that's enough refereeing. It was, you know, a few more minutes than even I wanted to do it. We could. We certainly could. So let's get into the meat of things. Brentford, is this Mm. a blip? So I know you just wrote something about this today that, you know, kind of looking back at the teams that Arsenal have kind of played in the post-World Cup. It's a, a unique set of teams. Is that how you'd fairly say it? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think uh, you know anyone anyone who wants to make an argument about form for Arsenal, you know they might lean on the FA Cup at City result a little bit because if, if you don't, you essentially have two games to really complain about. Yeah, Manchester United was let's say the thirteenth, so it was three weeks ago, and it's you know that was a great game. Tottenham Hotspur was the game before that at at Spurs, whatever this who cares what the stadium's called. So uh, you you basically have two games with the starters where we've just run into, I mean, completely packed boxes, packed, crowded midfields and, and struggled. But I think, you know, I think there are some kind of softer factor, not even necessarily soft, but going back before that, uh, the other one I think that people were worried about was Newcastle. So kind of what I was trying to get at with the post today was, you know, there, there are things at play here. There are forces at play. Um, and Scott did a premium post about uh, Manchester United being, being or not being in the title race. You'll have to read that for yourself. But, you know, if you look at it from a, just after the world cup perspective on XG for and against, I mean, Brentford are basically in the top four. They've been, yeah, one I have of the most informed, the, informed the third, clubs. The third best team post-World Cup right now. Yes. So, yeah, certainly very, very good. They're they're hitting... They're not even hitting. They've been in stride for a solid chunk of time now. Um, their last game right before the World Cup, they beat Manchester City. Uh, they've beaten a, a few great... or You know, they've beaten a few sides pretty handily since then. I just think... You know, there's there's not a ton of love lost between Arsenal and Brentford, and um, it ha- it just so happens this happens all the time in in uh, team sports where you have a long season. You just happen to run into uh, a side who is set up in a almost perfect way to kind of stifle your game, and you know I think there's there's a a lot of concern about okay Brentford did this, Everton did this. Um, What's stopping everyone from doing it? And I think we're going to see, you know, predictions sure to fail here. I think we're going to see just this week, we're going to see an example of, of two different sides who are not built to play this way uh, in Villa, whose midfield just seems to get torn apart. And uh, in Manchester City, who obviously are going to not be sitting deep and trying to trying to win, a you know, or get a draw by just defending their goal like crazy. Um, so it's it's not going to happen every game. Um, I think that there's probably some form stuff going on. A couple guys, uh, Zinchenko, Xhaka have been, you know, less than themselves the last two games. I think Martinelli has, has gotten better, but, um, you know, certainly Saka, Odegaard, you can't say anything bad about them. And then of course you add in, well, you know, the, the 45 million pound striker that we signed in the off season is still gone. And he does, he does add a dimension, uh, to Arsenal's game that just so happens to be 
pretty darn well perfectly suited to defeat these kind of teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was kind of thinking about this the other day. And, you know, when I was kind of thinking about ways that if Arsenal run into a situation like they kind of ran into on the weekend, like what kind of changes might be possible? You know, mm-hmm. I, I floated out, you know, maybe that's where you know, you bring in a Trissard for a Xhaka. Because I think kind of looking at it, we are really missing Gabriel Jesus in these situations because, all right, that puts a bigger burden on having to see Granite Xhaka do some of these, you know, creative works or being able to make the left flank be able to work a little bit more closely. I think you've seen Zinchenko try to take up some of that responsibility too, where mm-hmm. it kind of feels like those two kind of come redundant in a certain case. You know, Zinchenko can be quite effective on the overlap, being able to do some of those kinds of things. I think you posted a, a video of some of the, his really good stuff. And like, we've seen him be effective doing that. We've seen yeah. Granite Xhaka be effective, being able to be kind of that free man floating around. But it kind of feels like we're we're stuck trying to compensate for Gabriel Jesus being out a little bit. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's starting to be understood, right? Like that guy is really, really good. And like, it's right. not easy to you know, take him out and, you know, be able to have the team work exactly the same. No, it's, and it would be, it would be asking a lot of Eddie and Kedia to, to try to recreate that. I mean, he's just, he's not on the same level from like a creative passing perspective or a creative dribbling. dribbling perspective. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the big things that I think we you miss so much is, you know, yeah. a guy that can just go and beat a man and destabilize when you mm-hmm. have that low block. Because like yeah, as soon as you beat that person, uh oh, now everything else has to kind of collapse, and that's where you create those little you know pockets of space to be able to exploit. Right. You beat beat one man, and somebody else comes over to to compensate, and all of a sudden somebody's open and streaking into the goal, and you know that's the perfect situation for Jesus. But I think you know going back to your point, Scott, about Jacka and Zinchenko being wide, uh, kind of being that free man and and mixing it up a little bit. I mean, it it does feel like it's gotten stale uh, at times. And I, you know, ultimately I am not in the room. I don't know whose idea is being played out or not played out, but you know, I really think for all the chatter, there's been that Kieran Tierney needs to be inserted into the game and, and maybe, you know, late on in these games, if, if it's just not working for Zinchenko, you can talk about that. But I think, I think second half he was, he was doing a lot better. And so I just think uh, it's it's really incumbent upon the manager to well, I wanna, be putting I wanna, these ideas we, in their head. I was gonna say before we move on to that, I want to kind of like challenge, I guess, the the thinking behind that. Like, what would we think we're gonna get from tyranny? And like, what's the the benefit of that? Is it that we have someone out there providing width? Like, is it, yeah, I think he could probably do that, but I don't think that's something that Zinchenko can't do. Is it the bringing in the crosses from wide, like, is that really an effective thing that we want to try to do? Like, it's not like we have a, you know, Eddie Nketiah is like a decent guy in the air, but like, I think all of our forwards, there are under six foot. So it's like, we're not going to yeah. win a lot of those kinds of duels. I guess I just don't understand, like, what's the actual thinking there that that one brings you? I mean, if I'm, be- if I'm being honest, I think that, I think it's just trying something new motivates a lot of it. Um, and that's, that was why I posted the, the Zinchenko video is because he has been a really, really good um, overlapping left back for Manchester city. He, he was on an overlap for the, the game winner against Manchester United. He passed to Trissard. Trissard 
uh, I believe, did he shoot and the, and then Eddie, or no, he passed it to Odegaard and, and then shot and Eddie scores. So we've we've seen him do that before. I think it's just people associate the idea of overlapping with Kieran Tierney because you remember the first half of last season, what was the book on Arsenal? Play up the left, Tierney crosses into the <laughs> box, nothing happens. So, I mean, for me, we've been there, we've done that. Um, if we want to try that sometime, fine. But I just, what I was saying before is I really think that it's just inco- incumbent upon Mikel Arteta to be drilling this into these guys' heads that Granite Jacka and, and Zinchenko should not be having the same, what would you say, horizontal position every attack, so to speak. There should be some interchange because that's going to create confusion for the defenders. And and frankly, I mean, if you if you gave me the choice of having Martinelli with the ball out wide, or Xhaka or Zinchenko, and the, the objective was to play a pass into the box that could um, result in something, I would take the the other two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that sounds yeah pretty fair. <laughs> yeah, so I think the kind of looking here at the, the upcoming matches, so we're going to, for right now, skip past Manchester City because we'll talk about them in a bit. But then after that, it's Aston Villa and then Leicester. Mm-hmm. Tell me about them, right? Like those, those are not good teams, right? Like, or at least defensively, I don't think that those are teams that we are overly worried about. Is that something that we think that we can make this a blip and not something that is a trend? Well, yeah, I mean, you look at Villa and Leicester, they're 11th and 13th on the table right now, respectively. Leicester actually only have a a negative two goal differential. Um, And a lot of that is because they just pounded the living daylights out of both Spurs and Villa. Uh, They scored eight goals between those two games and only gave up three. So, you know, they, I mean, I feel like a lot of people know kind of what the book is at less about Leicester at this point. They, they attack really well, but the, the defense just struggles. They signed Harry Souter, who was kind of one of the, one of the more fun guys to cheer for from the world cup for Australia. I think he was, who was he? Norwich? No, Stoke. I don't know, but they signed him from the championship and he got a start against Leicester or against Spurs. But yeah, Villa, I mean, I think the thing that worries people about Villa is essentially who the manager is. Yeah. Unai, I mean, you you don't want to have the revenge, you know, screw your championship or screw your uh, title charge kind of draw or loss at Villa Park. Villa Park, not ever really necessarily super easy for Arsenal, but um, you know, we've had some success. We won there one nil last year. A couple years ago, I think we won there too, like in the 2000, gosh, what they were down in the championship for a while. So it would have been a while ago, but anyway, with, with Villa, you, again, you look at, at kind of what they've done so far this season and, and they've given up, um, you know, about a goal and a half every game, which is not a super good, uh, pace to be on. So I, you, you would definitely think Villa having just given up three to city four to Leicester before that, that, that those are two opportunities where even if we, you know, eke out a draw against city nil, nil or one, one, something like that, that those are a couple of chances for the attack to really get clicking again. Yeah, I think so. Right. Cause I'm looking here and basically since the world cup, they have been the 15th best team with, uh, this will probably not surprise you the absolute worst defense in the league. So mm-hmm. they are, uh, really, really struggling. So like they, they had a bit of that new manager bounce where it seemed like they had 
not liked what they were getting from Steven Gerrard, but it doesn't seem like there has been much of a, a bounce since they've come back together. So I think they are certainly a team that probably shouldn't worry us as much as we would like to, to kind of think. I don't know. I'm looking here and it's, it's not really a schedule thing. Like their schedule has been roughly league average. They have the 11th hardest schedule so far here. So like you can't even point to that and say, Oh, they they've gone up against some of the best teams in the league kind of thing going on. So I think that one is certainly not that uh, impressive. Uh, Leicester city. I have them ranked as the 13th best team since everybody's kind of come back from the world cup. So mm-hmm. they're, they're not as bad as what they, they were. And maybe that is one that, might be a little bit harder, but I still think that that one is one that Arsenal should expect some expect some good performances for. Um, and they are also not rated well on defense. They are the 19th rated defense. Yeah, they've been, I mean, they've been extremely porous. Even, even going back to last season, they were almost on par, I think, with Arsenal in terms of XG output, but the XGA was just way, way, way high. So, and, and I don't know that they've... I don't know that you would say that they've really like turned a corner to the point where you would start being like, well, you know, that was then this is now because, you know, they're still starting, you know, woof, woof phase and Harry Suter. And <laughs> it's not, it's not personnel that you exactly fear um, since Fofana has left. So uh, it should be, I mean, it's definitely one of those games that I worry about less. And And the other thing, you know, I meant to make this point with Brentford is, you know, we got to talk about having Ivan Tony up front mm. and just how yeah. much, how much that ruined Arsenal's game plan. Because, I mean, let's face it, when you play a high line, a super high line, and you're, you're doing things like inverting your fullbacks and things like that, it puts a lot of pressure. I mean, this is like core principles. It puts a lot of pressure on your center backs to play well. Yes, they they really need to. And that's why I think that's why kind of in this new Mikel Arteta era, Rob Holding has gone from, you know, like, oh, yeah, he's he's fine. <laughs> he's serviceable to, wow, he's a disaster because it, if he has to play high line, he's just going to he's going to lose a lot. And the same thing basically happened with Saliba. I think he was what, like one for ten. And aerial duels. Um, these Salibo, chances, yeah, with over ten, I think, yeah, he didn't win a single one against Ivan Tony. If I yeah, remember correctly, it's just Tony. Tony just really, really beat him up the whole game. Caused mistakes to happen. You know, it's as much as like I think opposing fans have pulled out the XG and been like, oh, you know, look, Brentford dominated Arsenal. Blah blah blah. Well, I mean, I think most models had them around two. Mm-hmm. Um, as their XG in Arsenal, like 1.5, 1.6. 1. 1.5 of Brentford's XG came from three shots. Yeah. So it's not like and, they and were... And a lot of that came from the one that was offside, right? Yeah, like the Tony. Big, Tony big, big chunk of that, right? Yeah, so like, you know, looking at the, the Opti model that you'll see on FBRF, like that one is basically one, you know, 0.96. So mm-hmm. if you take that one about, it's closer to even. Um, I had it, you know, a little bit lower. Um, and I think when I looked at it, in mine um without that shot in there i think i had it at like 1.4 for arsenal 1.2 for brentford so mm-hmm. like you know it would have been they had uh, some good chances maybe you add back in some for you know if we're gonna take away although like i hate doing that but again like they had a you know the chance early where Mbueno was through 
but you know they blew the whistle that could have been a one-on-one situation so like that might have been like another you know 20 to 30 percent chance kind of thing taken away from them so yeah it's kind of a an interesting way to kind of think about Mm -hmm. the yeah and the the broader point kind of being um in terms of matchups right and the reason the reason that i thought of this is because I, I was thinking of Lester and, and the last couple of games he started I Nacho out top up top and uh, and he's done really well but I would say that in terms of like is is somebody so Arsenal are going to control possession they're probably going to force their opponents deep for much of the game which played really well into Brentford's you know very like almost like Sean Dyche strategy of play it long and let Tony go out there and win the duels and start all these, you know, breakaway sort of chances. Um, Manchester City obviously have Holland, but they're not going to play that way. Watkins. They did, I think they did play a little bit like that in the FA Cup match. You kind of see in the, the second half when Arsenal, because Arsenal yeah. came out with a, you know, kind of a man-to-man kind of matchup scheme where they kind of couldn't really build through the middle and did resort a little bit to going long against Arsenal. Um, it didn't, it wasn't nearly as effective because I don't think that, you know, you, you think of, you know, Holland is a beast of a specimen, but that's not really his necessarily skill point. He's not a Tony or a, a DCL yeah. in the ability to win these flick ons and then, you know, turn around and, and spread. Yeah, and he's actually been, I, you would, if you, if you like go back and look at his, career other than being like a really big guy he actually isn't like the tony where he's got all of these aerial dual wins uh in every single game you know i think he averages like one and a half to two per 90 minutes and it's usually like more like in the 50th percentile type of performance so so anyway the point being you know holland ollie watkins ahianacho these are guys that you would not expect to be able to pull that off quite so easily because Tony, regardless of how much you rate him, that has very much always been his game. Like you could, you could use him as a target man since the, since he first set foot in the, in the premier league, he's just always been perfect for that. Yeah. And, and you know, a crafty guy, right. He knows how to freaking buy a foul where, you know, he was able to get that from the, the referees. Yeah. And he's actually not that big. I, I'm not even sure if he is six foot, but he just he just understands. I, I feel like sometimes guys just understand how to win. Balls in yeah, the you're air. right. He is, he is listed as five ten, so maybe mm-hmm. almost kind of Jesusy because I think Jesus does similar kinds of things from maybe even a, a slightly smaller site. Yeah, Jesus is uh, five, five nine, nine and a half. Yeah, yeah. So so height isn't always are. everything because Tony's not even six feet, and and look what he can do in the air. I think it just sometimes it's it's almost almost. Uh, in the same family of what I say about Enkedia, just you know, you know how to judge the ball in flight, and you get perfect positioning, and you just get the perfect touch on it, and sure enough, the defender is just completely twisted up, and you win. And unfortunately, that happened to Saliba. So I, I do, you know, I personally am expecting um, a lot better from him next time out. I think, you know, we'll see. I guess we'll see, right? I haven't heard any news about Holland's. Injury. I think I, I think I saw some today that he's back in training. Okay, so, so he's probably going to be fine. Yeah, it's very much like I thought that that when I saw that they was coming out, I think that that was a you know maybe he has a little bit of a knock. We're gonna you know kind of just play it really really safe when you're three goals up against a Aston Villa team that looked like it had like yeah. 
no sense of how they were going to try to even get close to back in the game. Yeah, it felt that they were were very happy to take it off. I was actually really interested um, that they went and so they brought in uh, Diaz and Laporte back into the game. And I was like, these guys are good. Why, why wasn't Pep playing these guys earlier? Uh, why was it so uh, a Kanji and... Uh, Ake usually, I, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nathan Ake. Like, I, I'm like, what What were you doing holding those guys back? I guess he was just Pep being Pep. Almost right. sometimes where he does that <laughs> with players. He really does, yeah. And all, all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, he switched to this different formation where he just seems to only play three defenders, really. Yeah, so he's going to yeah, like a 3-2-3-2 a three, two, three, two almost kind of formation. Mm-hmm. Back to the, the old WM. Oh, the good old days. Yeah, well, so do you want to talk a little bit about City? Obviously, as we record this, we're sitting about 48 hours from kick. All right, so we're going to be talking a little bit about Manchester City now. Um, we'll have to figure out how I, this all comes together when we put this together into the actual podcast. So we had some recording issues. So if there's some weird kind of momentum change here from not being able to understand why, how we just, you know, abruptly got here, we had a recording issue. So now we're going to talk about Manchester City and on the weekend or the the midweek we're 48 hours ahead uh adam do you think arsenal should win against manchester city do i think they should win i absolutely they should that is the recommended course of action for sure you know we <clears throat> i think i think we have been over the past few years we've been kind of coming to like dread these big games because a lot of times arsenal have been getting taken to the wood you know sort of to the woodshed yes but there, uh, you know, there, there's been, I mean, there's been a big difference this season. Um, you look at the two United games, the two Tottenham Hotspur games, Liverpool, Chelsea. I mean, this is not, um, this is not kind of your, your older brother's arsenal. This is, uh, this is a, a different side. They, they do not seem to really lose control of these games in terms of like possession and, and, uh, field tilt and everything. So, you know, I think, particularly buoyed by what happened in the cup when city went basically full strength um arsenal rotated what six guys i think it was and uh you know your tomiyasus and and so forth were still able to really execute the game plan so you know you kind of look at the the run of results leading into it and and you say wow you know some couple of clubs have really succeeded at, at packing the box on us and and nicking a a goal um, either from a set piece or a defensive error, that sort of thing. And, you know, I think you if you put City and Arsenal in, in more of an open um, environment, you're probably going to get City scoring goals in this game. But, um, you know, Arsenal, for all the concern about what they did against Everton and Brentford, I mean, on the balance of the season, they've still had a great attack. So it's it's exciting. And this is exactly where... Arsenal should be honestly they should be having midweek um, big ticket games and this is kind of like what we need to get used to having uh, on Wednesday night whether it's City or exactly, right? it's it's, Bayern uh, Munich the, the Champions League is back and it, it kind of feels like we, we got a big matchup here that feels like a, a Champions League level yeah. round of 16 knockout stage match on a Wednesday under the lights at the Emirates and I think you know, you really touched on it earlier, right? Like the teams that we've just come up against have unique problems 
that Arsenal had to deal with. And for the most part, I thought we did decently, right? I think we did good against Newcastle. Everton, yeah, that one was probably bad. But against Brentford, ultimately, it, it was kind of even, right? It wasn't necessarily like a, as bad as the Everton performance. And so overall, I think those were kind of unique, special ones. And you've seen some, you know, kind of in-between matches where, you know, I think we've we've done really, really well. And I think Manchester City doesn't necessarily have the personnel or the desire to try to play in those same ways. There's no way Pep is going to line up right with, you know, eight men behind the ball mm-hmm. and, you know, lump it up to Holland, which I don't think is necessarily his his strength, right? He's a he's a big dude, but he's not a especially aerial adept big dude, right? No, yeah. I mean, it's it's more kind of like average-ish in terms of you know, he's not he's not like Tony, right, where he's winning four header or four uh, aerial duels every game and and, you know, doing that at like a 50 percent clip where half the time he's going to do it. Tony is also just so good at at holding it up and and, you know, playing the flick on to somebody streaking up the wings. And we saw chances happen because he could do that type of thing to uh, to Saliba. But, yeah, it's 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 definitely like a different a different big guy monster that, dealing with Holland. But it's, you know, they, uh, it's, it's interesting for how everybody kind of assumed that he was going to be kind of the final piece and like this completely unstoppable, uh, Manchester city monster that they were building. Now the discussion is, is having Holland making the, their attack too one dimensional. Are they making him worse? Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion for sure. But it's exactly the kind of it's exactly the kind of narrative that you kind of want surrounding your opponent before a big game is is you know things are things are wrong. Uh, Cancelo forced his way out, and they didn't even replace him, um, which I thought was a huge mistake. Hopefully, one that pays pays dividends for Arsenal. Yeah, but it seems like they're just going to go with the we don't need left-handed players role like kind of thing. Like so, they're they're going back in time, bringing back the the old WM kind of formation with the it's like a the three two three something. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> three two it's two three. Of, yeah, like I don't uh, envy the people that have to try to guess what this formation is and kind of looks like. So let me just kind of run through here. So uh, a win is unsurprisingly very, very good for Arsenal's title odds. So I, I ran the simulation today. This is assuming 1-0 wins for, you know, when we do go through the different things. Uh, with the draw, I assumed a 1-1. I made the the XG uh, 1.5 or 1.4 to 0.5. So it was a, a healthy win, but not necessarily a blowout or anything like that. Trying to minimize the overall, you know, downstream effects of these. Really just kind of focus on what does this match by itself do for the overall odds. And if Arsenal win, they bring back to almost where they were before some of the the dropped points. So that gets them to 69%. So just short of 70% for winning the title. So in a very, very good spot, opening up uh, almost five full points expected gap between them and Manchester City. Uh, This is the best outcome for Manchester United. Um, so if they you know, truly believe they're in the title race, they're going to be rooting for, for Arsenal to win here. But that still gets them to under 2% in my model. Um, I wrote a bit about them today if they're truly in the title race. So if you want to get my, my deeper thoughts there, um, if they are or are not in there, I don't think they actually are. But read about read all about it. You know, CrabStats.com. Sorry, yeah, CanonStats.com. So <laughs> would you take a draw 
if Arsenal were presented with it right now. You know, you just yeah. you go in, you don't even have to play the gatch. It's a one-one. Everybody's good. Everybody's healthy. Would you take it? No, I wouldn't. It's 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 a different thought than I've had every other time we've played City recently, and I think I think a little bit of it is built off of what we did with them in the cup. A little bit of it is built off of what we did against them last season. The, the Rodri pulling off his shirt game. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, I think that, you know, just for, for everything that's happened here in the past couple of games, you know, running into these really crowded boxes and kind of struggling to, to navigate the way through them, you know, just needing to be more decisive, needing to act more quickly. It's going to be, a lot different and and just if you base kind of your thinking off the entire season to date I mean it's not a bad matchup in terms of uh, style in terms of skill level certainly City have guys who have been at the top of the pyramid for a long time and I think some of those guys are starting to show uh, some signs of their age Um, you know they're they're a different style of club than in recent years and um, you know I mean I think I think Arsenal are have have really made it clear what they're here to do um this season. Um the players really seem to be in that mindset that this is, you know, this is when Arsenal break out of this sort of like going into games that the Eddie had and getting blown out 5-0. Um because there are no Kalazanaches here anymore. There, you know, <laughs> Moel Mo Nenny isn't going to start this game. Although he has, you know, done pretty well in some big games before, but so I think I think you know you just look at the opportunity here for kind of like this announcing this announcement kind of proclamation style win for Arsenal and I would say you know what I know that there's a chance that they lose but if you told me guarantee you a draw or or let the game play out I'd say I'd say let it play out cuz I think that they could actually win. Yeah, so I know we were we were looking at this earlier and Arsenal have not beaten Manchester City in the, uh, the Premier League since 2015. So that's, yeah, going back to December 21st, 2015, uh, 2-1 win at the Emirates. There are a couple of, you know, the the famous FA Cup wins. So both of the the ones that, that got us to eventual wins, I believe, right? So we had the, the semifinal win in uh 2017 and the semifinal win in 2020 so right. there are there have been some some wins there but in the the actual premier league it's been a bit of a, a bogey team for arsenal tried to get back in here with some yeah kind of drubbings along the way um and somewhere it feels like manchester city just kind of like took pity on us and really kind of could have uh pushed more and decided not to <laughs> well, let's hope that we don't have anything like that to say after after wednesday well, maybe, I mean, maybe the other direction, right? Maybe we take it easy on them. Yeah, maybe maybe fun. this is our time where, you know, they get a, a bad red card and we go and, you know, score three goals against them and then kind of do the, the gentleman's agreement in the second half to not embarrass them going forward. Only shots outside the box. That kind exactly. Of thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, right? Like, if you were to tell me, like, I had to either pick a draw or I could roll the dice with the result being played out I, I want to see arsenal go to try to do it i feel like this is you know the, the probably like the best team that i feel like we've had since easily going back to 2015 and they're just an exciting and i feel like this is a, a team that can match up with manchester city and cause them unique problems that you know other teams not necessarily can 
uh, and I, I just I, I look at the res, you know the the prize of actually winning this, and that is something that I think would be so much better. Like a draw feels to like Jose Mourinho, like that's what he would do here, and yeah. like that's almost never the choice that I would you know choose to to actually go through. Right, this was like the the second to last game of the season. And like right, and like Arsenal, like we're doing that. I would, I would one hundred percent give me that draw. I don't care, yeah, right? Like, yeah, given our situation, but you no, know, with the the amount of matches left to play, I think Arsenal can come back from a loss. But a win would just be so good, and you know, and then even if they play well and it ends up as a draw, that's totally okay too, right? Because I'm looking at the mm-hmm. odds here. A, a draw puts Arsenal actually in a better situation than where they are now. So that gets fifty two percent to win the title. Yeah. Because a draw is a draw is two points dropped for each club, um, and Manchester City have fewer points left that they could possibly get because they have played that one extra game. If you're if you're a Manchester or if you're a an acolyte of of magic numbers, that would be worth three if they draw. So that that's significant. That's not that's not nothing. Yeah, and you know this it's a, a true six pointer if we win, right? That'll exactly. move that magic number as I believe it's uh forty six right now, right? Yeah. Looking, right? I think it's either forty six or forty seven. Um, it it's up. like forty it's like forty six and a half, right? If you really kind of think about it. Because right. like um if that 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 assumes Manchester City winning both matches against them. So Arsenal will need to yeah get that extra half, you know, point somewhere. It is 46. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be nervous for this one. You know, the guys do still need to show up and play well, but one nice thing I was, I was saying this earlier. I don't know if it, if the recording worked, but you know, Saliba had such a, such a rough time against Tony. I think, you know, this might be a chance for him to really bounce back and and play a, a great game because he's got another striker that's going to challenge him. But, you know, you look at, you look at his performance against Kylian Mbappe from last season and, and he really showed up in that game for OM. And so I think that's, that's a shot. That's a chance for him to really be great again. And, you know, Gabriel has been great pretty much ever since he wasn't announced in the world cup side. So it's exciting to, to for once have two good defenders at the back when we face City, I feel like that's been a real hang-up lately. Yeah. Uh, having holding back there or starting three at the back with Klasnac or whatever. There just always seems to be something. Uh, so personnel-wise, I mean, this is going to be a really strong 11. Uh, maybe maybe we should talk a little bit about the selection because I know, yeah, I that, I know that there's been discussion right. about this. So I'm just wondering, Scott, from your perspective, like, what do you, where are you at in terms of the selection? Is, is this something that Arteta needs to change? I make zero changes going to this match. I, I am not one that I think we want to make any changes. I think that what the issues we've been having have been kind of like late game kind of situations. And I think that's really where I would make changes. I think our opening periods have been good. It's just been like sometimes we need to offer different problems. And I don't, but I don't think it's necessarily problems that we need to try to destabilize from the beginning because i think that's some of the things that i think i i would like to see us try to do more late in games to try to destabilize both us and them you know to try to just really shake things up and really mm-hmm. kind of hopefully go for arsenal has just more talent and like that destabilizing affects the other team more but i i don't think i make any changes i start the same 11 even yeah it's just to me like that's the team that's gotten us here and that's the team that i roll with what about you are you making a change 
No, I'm not. I wouldn't make any changes either. Actually, it's it's a little bit of a boring outcome for the podcast, but I don't think that I don't think that I, I am a lot like you. I don't think that the issues are um, personnel based. I think that the personnel can uh, effectively execute what people are asking for when when we're in those situations. But again, kind of going back to the conversation a, a little bit ago, uh, this is going to be a very different you know, tactical opponent that we're going to have. And, and I think that for that, then you go back to, like you said, the side that got Arsenal here, um, this is the best side that we have to cope with. Mm -hmm. Um, Just genuinely a a club who's going to come in and try to do the exact same thing as us, where they are going to want to play out of the back and control the game with possession. And, you know, they're not going to kick it long and, and have Holland try to do flick ons and stuff like that. Like they're going to, I mean, it's going to be like playing ourselves in a lot of ways. Yes. I, I agree on that sense. And that like, let's talk about like the changes that Arsenal could make. So mm-hmm. I think one of the ones that people are kind of crying out for is Martinelli comes out. Leandro Trossard comes in. Yeah. Do you see that one as something that it's me like that's at least defensible. It gets, it's, yeah. it's very like for like, you know, I think Martinelli has been better over the last... I think yeah, his match against Brentford was probably his best since, you know, really kind of the, the World Cup kind of came back. Um, and I think, you know, you kind of see at the end of some of the matches that Martinelli has started to, to get back into the flow of things. And yeah. I think, like we talked about earlier, right, there's some other kind of mitigating circumstances for that. But would you make that change? I, You know, I wouldn't. It makes sense to me. I get I get what people are asking for. And I think uh, I think if you if you really look at Martinelli from the second half of Everton on, I don't really see a problem there. There's been a lot made of, of his performance. And I think it's, it's almost gotten to the point of confirmation bias. He's, he's struggling to win one-on-one, you know, take ons. He's not, he has not been the same red hot, you know, dribbler that he was in the first half, but he's also being put out there on an Island quite a bit. And, by the time he gets the ball, you know, he's not alone, not even alone versus one defender. Right. I think Everton were, we're throwing like McNeil at him most of the game. So, you know, I, I wouldn't change it. If anything with Trossard, if you really wanted to mix it up and maybe this is where, maybe this is where Arteta, you know, where his pep gene comes to, <laughs> comes to, to fruition here. I mean, maybe, maybe you consider playing Trossard central. Um, That would, that would give you a little bit more of that dropping deep and linking up and stuff that Gabriel Jesus can, can uh, produce. Um, he's not as good at striker as Jesus is, but um, he's more of an imitation in terms of style. But again, this is, this is coming from me saying I would start the same 11. Yeah. The other change that people have been kind of talking about, at least on my timeline, is Ben White comes out, Takahiro Tamiyasu comes in. Mm-hmm. Is that a change that you think would make sense? Uh, no, I it, it wouldn't make sense to me. I think uh, with, with Tamiyasu, I would use him in a situation where I felt really strongly like I was going to be, what's the right way to say this? Where, where, so I think, I think I would look at him as kind of like a stopper option off, mm. off of the bench. I think the way that Ben White has performed this season, again, in total, I thought he was better against Brentford. He obviously struggled against Everton. But I think White has done 
just as well at what Tomiyasu is good at over the course of the season. So I don't know what the upgrade is there. I I would have considered just giving White a chance to clear his head against Brentford and, and start Tomiyasu there because he looked a little a little bit like he was forcing it, like he was overthinking the game before. But uh, at this point, you know, he he did his job. He did it well. Second half, he he was part of you know, things looking better was, was because of white. So I, he seems to have the momentum back and I just, I would not pull him out at this point. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of my thought too. Like you, maybe you kind of think, all right, it's going to be probably Grealish there on their left up against him. Like maybe you want to try to stop whatever moves kind of come there. But Mm -hmm. I, I think to me, like I think about what, has been effective on the right-hand side. It has been the three of Odegaard, Saka, and Ben White. I think Ben White has been fairly good at picking his spots of when to overlap, when to be able to kind of help contribute. I think his passing as a, a auxiliary midfielder have been really good, being able to, to help recirculate the game, being able to do those kinds of things. And then, you know, he's I think just as good a defender, like you think about set pieces, doing those kinds of things, you know, the guy played center back, like he's, he's pretty good at doing those kinds of things. So I don't think I would make that change either. Have you seen any other, you know, crazy changes thrown out there? Um, you know, I, yeah. I think we talked already about, you know, Tierney and Zinchenko. I, I think that this is a hundred percent a Zinchenko game. We need to be able to yeah. have that help in midfield. Absolutely. Being able to, to hold on to there. I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody can make, like an actually logical case for Kieran Tierney against a Manchester city. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's, that's essentially why he's been relegated to the bench because he doesn't, he doesn't provide the, the technical skill level that Zinchenko does. He doesn't provide, you know, like the, the multiple, the multitude of, uh, of options going forward that Zinchenko does. He's, he's probably a better defender than Zinchenko, which is a very low bar, but it just, it just kind of is another dimension to the attack when you have that passing, it would be a lot like, I guess we don't even have really a like for like on the right side, but it would be, I mean, white and Zinchenko, they bring a lot of the same value. White is a better one-on-one defender, but yeah, I Tierney, if you want to talk about against the low block, because he can, he can add more pace on the outside and that sort of thing. Like I understand that, but never against city. No. Yeah, no, I think we're going to be able to do enough pace with, you know, whoever starts on that left-hand side, if it is Martinelli or if it is Trissard, I think both of those guys will be, you know, it's not like we're needing to go against, you know, three guys there, right? I think that Manchester City are going to have, you know, there'll there'll be space there to, you know, at least kind of go after being able to do that. I think there'll be less two-on-ones on on the outside, and I think we hopefully will be able to get more one-on-ones with Saka and whoever plays on the left um, Mm -hmm. against their fullbacks being able to go through. I think that's probably going to be one of the the key matchups in this match is can we isolate those guys a little bit more one-on-one instead of it being two-on-one or three-on-one, which we've seen so much in these last couple matches. I mean, it would, it would be really surprising if we ran into that with city. I mean, especially if they're, especially if they're playing like in a similar formation to what they pulled out against Villa, where essentially it's, I mean, Rodri is kind of the only true central midfielder in the, in the formation. And, you know, you compare that to Everton and they had three Brentford had three. So if they're putting Rodri out there with, you know, Bernardo and, and Gundogan, I mean, I'm not so worried about those guys defensively. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, look at their formation here. So yeah, it was a, a Rodri Gundogan De Bruyne midfield. So 
Uh, I guess Bernardo was kind of there too. Like, yeah, they just went with like, yeah, the, the, all the all the vibes midfield. Like, we're just gonna stick yeah. the guys out there and and hope for the best in their box. Really, I mean, more. especially with Silva and and Gundogan, you kind of end up with two guys both sort of playing left eight at the same time. Yeah, and, and if they go with the same kind of formation, I I really like Arsenal's ability to really, I guess, exploit that wide side that space. Are, are you going to see? Grealish or uh, whoever starts on the right is again. It might be. We'll see. Mara is again out there. Like, are you gonna see them attacking or tracking back and having to to help double up there? And I guess that would make them yeah. a little bit less threatening on the break or being able to do things. So I don't know. I kind of like the way Arsenal can set up against this team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that and that's kind of what I was what I was going for before. Is is um, you know, you're not going to get the same defensive help from Grealish or from uh, Riyad Mahrez like you got from uh, McNeil, you know, or, or like, like how Brentford would basically commit one guy forward. So, so it's going to be, I think it, it'll probably be a really fun to watch game. Probably really tense. Oh yeah. I'm going to absolutely hate every minute of it, but it might be a good one to watch for neutrals. It would be, it would be really, I mean, this is stating the obvious, but it would be just enormous for Arsenal to get like first a first 15 20 minute goal they've been they've been good at that this season they seem to score early pretty often so that would be i think that would just be huge uh, just for confidence and everything um but even even to get to uh you know later and i but i think first half if you score uh, you could very easily pull out the win i think i think i might say whoever scores first is going to win this one I think that's probably a, a pretty fair guess. I, I wouldn't want to try to come back from you know behind against either of these teams right now. I think that'll be a good way to, to end it. I think Arsenal scoring first, going on to a nice victory. You you want to throw out a prediction, or you just you don't want to tempt fate? <laughs> well, I I I will. You know what? This is this is part of why people like to to engage with these sort of things. So uh, predictions sure to go wrong. I, I think Arsenal will win and I think they're going to win three to two. Ooh, I'm going to go with a nervy one nil for Arsenal to win. Okay. I think, two different I think styles of games. Yeah. I think this is going to, I think this is going to be a very cagey match where I think both teams kind of try to feel each other out. It might be a little slow paced, um, I think there's going to be a lot of midfield battle where I think both teams are going to really put a bunch of guys in there. So I think it's going to, yeah, it's going to come down to, I think, you know, who, one of Arsenal's wide men is to be able to make a difference. Um, I like those matchups versus the the city wide guys against Arsenal's back line. So I think that's going to be the the part that wins it for us. And what's the over under on Rodri fouls without being carded? Because it's going to be like five and a half. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I think he's going to do at least four in this match. He's and no, yeah. and no yellows, right? Yeah, he's going he's gonna to probably stop two breaks and not get yellows for him. Most likely. I mean, that's the book on him at this point is like that's and that's one of the funniest things about City thinking that the Premier League is out to get them is that, you know, Arsenal fans could go and show you some tape from last season. <laughs> Of Rodri committing foul after foul and never getting carded, but also that's, that's how, another. How, how cringe is it that they put up a banner for their freaking lawyer? Well, we all we all dream of being able to support our corporate counsel of at our yeah, respective yeah. sports teams. We have the best lawyer. You'll never be able to sing that, right? Like that's that is what this game is all about. 
we're going to start covering uh, lawyer transfers. Yeah, right. We're going to yeah, get all the white shoe guys. We're going to have some some lawyer power rankings and and all those guys. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few uh, good lawyers in the Arsenal fandom. So we'll have the, some guys to reach out to when we you know need to start you know moving for you know different you know law firms and being able to do that. Right. <laughs> get that hot legal content. All right, let's leave it here. Um, if you enjoyed this episode and you like to support the podcast, uh, the ratings, reviews, all those things do really well to be able to get more people to listen. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of that is Canon Stats. If you if you really enjoy, you can become a premium member. You get all sorts of extra content. You know, you could listen today. Um, we got the my my post on Manchester United being title contenders. There's been lots of good stuff there. So thank you. We will talk to you after Arsenal hopefully beating Manchester City. If that happens, we might do a, an emergency podcast and you know get our reaction to the bedlam that's coming. So thank you, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>